Good morning, folks. Great to be with you this morning and uh, looking forward to sharing with you a story that is just so wonderfully delightful in so many, many ways. And not only, I think, teaches us, but allows us to uh, find perhaps new ways to express who we are, what we believe, and how we want to live in the name of Jesus. So before we get started with the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, I think it'd be good if we had a word of prayer together. So would you pray with me? Father God, as we are uh, worshiping this morning together in this enclosed space up front, there are hundreds of cars flying down Roosevelt Road, and nothing would please us more than if someone glanced this direction and thought, what is going on over there? And would pull in and give a listen. Or someone riding a bike down Rush Hill Road. Or somebody visiting in an institution nearby would simply be curious to know, what is that place? What are they about? What are they doing and why? And simply spend time with us. And if, God, you would give them that nudge, we pray you would nudge us to respond in a faithful and meaningful way that honors you and um, just accomplishes your purpose for us in the name of Jesus. Surprise us in some way we ask. Amen. Well, I grew up in the middle of the 20th century. That was a long time ago, 50s and 60s. And we talked about church. I was raised in the church. And when we talked about things that we're going to be talking about this morning, namely the subject of evangelism, we had something pretty specific in mind. We had in mind evangelism as a great auditorium, maybe like McCormick Place on the lakefront of Chicago, filled with tens of thousands, 40,000, 50,000 people. And in front of that big crowd, a huge choir, maybe several hundred or even several thousand, singing great old hymns of faith. And then when the main attraction came on, a man dressed very well in a very nice suit with a big head of hair and a booming voice and a strong chin would bring a message. And at the end of the message, he would say something like, now, if God has moved you, we want you to come down to the front where he was giving the message. And I'm going to lead you in a word of prayer. And don't you worry about it. If you came with friends, they'll wait for you. If you came in a church bus, it won't leave without you. And he'd give us all those assurances, invite you to the friend to the front, and you would bow together in a word of prayer. And after the prayer, he would say to you, now there are four things you need to do. You need to go to church on Sunday. You need to read your Bible. You need to pray, and you need to tell somebody what happened to you tonight. And then he would send us home. That was evangelism. Then, for some, just like evangelism in the Bible, for some, was Acts chapter 2, when Peter gave a single message and 3,000 people came to know Jesus, right? Evangelism is a single voice in a huge space drawing a great crowd with enormous results. That was evangelism. And so out of that idea of evangelism in my lifetime, we moved on to things like some of you are going to remember this. Remember Key 73? Uh, not an arm. Oh, yeah, thank you. Two folks in the back. Uh, evangelism explosion. Yeah. 400,000 by 2,000. All of these great dreams and goals and ideas. That was evangelism. And then you come to Acts chapter 8. 
And you say, well, maybe that was evangelism, but that's not the only evangelism. And maybe not even the most effective evangelism, and maybe not even the evangelism that I can relate to as an individual in 2021. Maybe the kind of evangelism that speaks to us, to me, to the church, is the evangelism practiced by Philip, the evangelist. You know that he was chosen as a deacon earlier in the book of Acts, but when he is last mentioned in the book of Acts, he is remembered as Philip the Evangelist. And so we're going to take a look at Philip the Evangelist and his single encounter with one man that changed not only the church, but the life of that individual, and I think is far more compelling as a motivation to get out and tell the name of Jesus than these big ideas with the big crusades and all of the kinds of things that uh, in my lifetime have been part of evangelism experience. So, we're going to look together at Acts chapter 8. We're going to start at verse 26. Take a look at this first slide. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. When we last left Philip, he was in Samaria, which is to the north of Jerusalem. And now an angel, better perhaps translated, a messenger of God, comes and says to him, I want you to go south to the desert, the desert road. And I read that and I have to smile. I'm thinking, what crusade committee would ever choose to take someone who's having a powerful impact to the north, heading toward the great centers of, of uh, population, the cities like Damascus and the cities up the Mediterranean coast, and then over and cross over into Europe and to the great uh, heart of the Roman Empire. What evangelism committee would say, we want you to leave the big things that are happening here and go south to the desert? What is that all about? Why would God take a 180-degree turn to a place that Philip probably never would have chosen, and I don't think the church would have chosen, but somehow God in his wisdom says, I want you to move to this place and that time. And how did Philip know that's what he was supposed to do? The Bible just says a messenger of God said to him, was he like laying in bed and he heard the voice? Was he reading a scroll and the idea came? Did someone suggest... Did someone, hang on, we're lost here. You can't hear me? Yep, I'm dead. Okay. Did someone? Oh. Yeah, they all died. Are we back on? Yeah, here we go. Thank you, sir. Wow. <laughs> Did someone suggest to him, hey, you might want to try the desert road to the south? None of those things happened. A messenger came. When is the last time God said something to you? I mean, did, has, he, has that ever happened? What was it like? How did you know? Was it an audible voice? I've never had the audible voice experience. I've talked to people who have. I have not. But certainly there have been moments when deep inside of me something has been moved and I've come to a decision, a commitment, an idea that this is something I needed to do, something even that God would want me to do. And often it came in unexpected times and unexpected ways. Uh, and I 
probably said, well, the Lord said to me, but he didn't say it to me like I'm saying it to you. He said it to me like this thing that grew in my mind, in my heart, in my desire, and then it took over. So Philip gets this message from God, and he heads to the south, to the desert, where nobody is and nothing is. He's on a desert road. Let's continue in verse 27. So Philip starts out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Philip meets on the desert road an Ethiopian eunuch. Ethiopian, I will explain. Eunuch, I will not. Kids, if you don't know what a eunuch is, ask your mom and dad later and they'll let you know. So he meets this man who is from the south of Egypt, the far south today in the area of Eswan or perhaps even farther than that, who has been from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship. That's a long ways to go to worship. And the fact that he is a eunuch makes worship even more difficult because in Deuteronomy chapter 3, 23, it says that no such person is admitted into the assembly of God. So you're thinking, what was he thinking? You know, he's going to get there. What's he going to do? What is worship going to be like? Well, anyway, this man from Ethiopia, the eunuch, is on his way. He's gone to Jerusalem. He's worshiped God, and he is now heading home. And the Spirit of God sends Philip to this most unusual candidate, an African Hebrew, far from home, representing an unusual class of people from a sort of elevated social class. He is a treasurer for the queen. He is somebody. He's got a title. He's got his own chariot. He's even got his own driver because he says later on, stop the chariot. You don't talk to yourself that way, right? He's got a driver and the chariot's big enough for several people to get into because he invites Philip up into the chariot. He is somebody with something in this world, even though a most unusual person. And God goes to incredible lengths to reach out to that man on the desert road. So we're going to go on with the story. Verse 28, on his way home, this Ethiopian eunuch is sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. He's reading a scroll in his chariot. <laughs> it's estimated, now the, the, the lowest estimate I read recently, this was from 2013, was that only 2% of the population at the time of Jesus was literate. The highest I've read is 10%. But at, at most, one out of 10 people had the ability to read. This is one person who was given that ability by his education. And because of his position, he was able somehow not only to be able to read, but to have his own scroll. So how many people had documents that they owned in Jesus' day? Very few of them. But he has an Isaiah scroll. In the uh, museum in Jerusalem, some of you have been there, they have an unfurled Isaiah scroll that was found in the cave of Qumran in 1946. That scroll is 10 inches high and 24 feet long. And you read it by twisting one 
side and turning the other. Greg, Pastor Greg says, sort of like an etch-a-sketch, right? Twisting one side, reading the other, and the message is unfurled. And so this guy has been twisting and reading and twisting and reading, and he's reading all the time, not quite getting whatever it is that's going on. And God says to Philip, you go to that chariot and stay near it. Is uh, uh, pa Pastor Jeff, are you here this morning? Oh, yeah, out there in the back. Hey, Pastor Jeff, here's an idea for evangelism training. I think obedience training for Christians. You can even bring your dog, right? Obedience training for Christians. And it starts with simple commands like go and then stop. Because that's what the Philip was told to do with the Ethiopian. Go to the chariot, stop, stay there. Some of us need the encouragement to move in the direction of those who are far from Jesus. And then having made that move, some of us need the encouragement to stay where we are with those people because God has something he wants us to accomplish. And sometimes the, the, the gospel message is as simple as a couple of words. Go and stay. So Philip goes and stays. So uh, we read on in the book of Acts. Philip ran to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. Well, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And then the eunuch asks Philip, tell me please, who's the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Pause again. Philip runs to the chariot. Now I thought, why would he run to the chariot? Well, I suppose the chariot's moving and in order to catch up, he has to run. Or, or, maybe he is just so enthused about this opportunity, he can't help himself. And he, you don't find heel marks as he's being dragged in the direction that he ought to go. You're just finding this man who is running in the direction that God said, you go, and that's where he's running. So he runs in that direction and he asks the man a question that changes that man's life. He says to him, do you understand what you're reading? I, I try to put myself in a situation like that and I think, how do you open a conversation with somebody like that? Um, he simply, do you know what you're reading? Right? Pretty simple. I'm not sure that that would be my impulse. My impulse would not be to ask, my impulse would be to tell. You know, you're reading the prophet Isaiah, and you know the prophet Isaiah, to sort of launch into my prepared speech, whatever it is. But that's not Philip. He asks the question that allows this man to open his heart. And somehow, as a believing community, we've got to really get really good at asking the questions that let people open their heart, you know? Do you understand it? Do you get it? Deceptively simple. It's in the wheelhouse of every Christian here, I think. We can ask questions like that. More about that later. Well, the question lets the Ethiopian think about what's going on, and he responds, and Philip then introduces him to Jesus. 
He takes the Isaiah passage, talks about the suffering of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the fact that out of the death of Jesus, life has been brought to all who believe. That's the message the Ethiopian hears. The story moves along quickly to its conclusion. As they travel along, they come to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. In the desert, mind you, right? They come to some water. Look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Did you notice, by the way, there is verse 36, and there's verse 38. Where, where's verse 37? Well, we'll come back to that in a moment. He gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. And we're going to come back to Caesarea in a couple of weeks where things that are really amazing happen. So Philip explains the gospel. The Ethiopian hears it and says, okay, I believe that. I want to be baptized. There's the water, and he is suddenly baptized, suddenly baptized. Now we need to talk about verse 37. Because it seems like someone who just hears the gospel and then says, hey, here's water. I want to be baptized. It seems like, to me at least, somebody should take the time to explain to him, well, you know, you can be baptized, but let me explain a few things first. There is no, let me explain a few things first in this story. Now, that may have happened that way. In fact, someone who thought it should have happened that way inserted verse 37, which is a footnote in the NIV Bible, if you have one with them. And in that footnote, Philip says, well, if you believe in your heart, you may be baptized. And then the Ethiopian says, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. And then you go on to verse 38, he was baptized. But the fact is, in the oldest document, that verse does not exist. We don't know what happened in that moment. All we know is the Spirit of God was so powerful at that moment that he heard something that changed his life, and he wanted a demonstration of what that change was about. He found the water and said, let me be baptized. And Philip baptized him. I love that moment. I love that kind of spontaneous action on the part of the body of Jesus that responds to the moments that um, only God can bring. The story ends as the Ethiopian continues in his chariot on the way home. He is filled with joy, and Philip is miraculously transported from the desert road to Azotus, which is a city on the Mediterranean, just to the west of where he was. And um, how that happened, some people will say he was teleported. I don't know, it just says suddenly he was at one place and then poof, he was in the other. Wouldn't it be wonderful if um, in heaven God gave us the capacity to have poof, be there, here, everywhere you wanted to go. I don't know, think about it. So here is Philip, not in control, but being controlled by God, brought from one place to the other by the Spirit, where his ministry continues, and the Ethiopian continues in his chariot, a changed man, he is rejoicing. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Greg told us there are two kinds of people in the world, right? There are those who say there are two kinds of people in the world, and those who do not. But in this story, there are two kinds of people. There is the Ethiopian, 
and there is Philip. And I'm going to ask you, if you had to put yourself in one of those two places, are you the guy in the chariot, or are you the guy with the answer, like Philip, waiting to meet somebody in a chariot? If you are like the Ethiopian, brought here for who knows what reason, maybe driving by on Roosevelt Road, listening from one of the condos nearby, riding a bike and deciding to pull in to see what happened. If you're one of those and you're sitting in your lawn chair or sitting in a car wondering, what is this place all about? What are these people doing? What is going on here? We would love, we would love to answer that question for you. And if you have those kind of questions, all you need to do is to find somebody who you saw here up front this morning or somebody who's going to be down here in front waiting to pray with you or to have a spiritual conversation with you after the service. You just need to come to them and they'll ask you, so do you understand what we're about? And you might say, well, how can I when then whatever reason it is you have? You simply open your heart and talk about those things that keep you from understanding, believing, and living like a follower of Jesus Christ. We would love and we pray for that kind of a conversation with you. So if you're the Ethiopian this morning, hey, come, come with your questions. We'd love to provide any answers. My guess is, though, most of us would more closely identify with Philip the Evangelist. That is, we are the ones who know what the answers are, and we would enjoy talking to people who need the answers. Well, if we are then the Philip in the story, there are a few things we might also pick up out of the story that could be of encouragement to us. The first is to go, move in the direction of those who are far from Christ. The second is to stay, stay with those who are far from Christ until you have the opportunity to ask the questions. The third is to ask the questions that allow them to open their heart in a way that is meaningful. And then the fourth is to talk about Jesus. It really can be that simple. So I'm asking if you would be willing to simply at this point this morning say to God, all right, God, you nudge me, you move me some direction this week in the next seven days that would let me ask a question that leads to a conversation about Jesus. You nudge me and I'll move in that direction. You're willing to do that? Some of you are thinking, well, what question do you ask? What if they're not reading anything and you can't ask, do you understand what you're reading? Uh, so happens that at Elmer's Church, we have a ministry that teaches people to ask questions that can lead to spiritual conversations. And the first question is great, and you can use it. If it's the only question you want to remember, it's worth remembering. That is, if you, you are now saying to someone far from Jesus, if you had any question you could ask of God, what would that question be? If you could ask God any question, what would that question be? So... Um, about a month ago, I'm fishing with our, uh, one of our grandkids, and I knew that he was having a spiritual struggle because his dad had talked to me about that. And I'm thinking, so how do you open a conversation with your grandchild about spiritual matters? You know, this sort of heavy-handed, like, uh, uh, do you believe in Jesus, and uh, how are you and Jesus getting along? So, so I just asked him, hey, um, if, you, if you could ask God any question, what would you ask him? And there, there was a silence of maybe 20 seconds, and he's a pretty thoughtful kid. He said, well, I would ask him, if you knew 
they were going to sin. Why did you put the tree in the garden? And I thought, wow, maybe we should fish for a while. Yeah. Well, I talked about it a little bit, and then I said to him, you know, I want to have, I want to, I want to think more about this. I want to pray more about this. I want to talk to you about it again. About two weeks later, he was back, and uh, we had a fine conversation about Romans 9, 9, 10, and 11 that I think gets at the heart of that question. Tough question, real question, but if you allow somebody to ask the real questions, it presents the opportunity to bring them the name of Jesus. So that's where I would ask the Spirit of God to lead us this morning, to nudge us, to move us, to stop us, to have us listen, to have us ask, so that others can rejoice even as we do in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you for the story of Philip, the Ethiopian. Thank you, God, for the uh, incredible way in which you orchestrate events, for the Holy Spirit's movement and work that puts people in the right time, in the right place, for life-changing kind of events. I'm asking now, God, that in the next seven days you'd provide me the opportunity and nudge my spirit at the time so that I know it is you and I know I should to ask a question that can introduce the name of Jesus. And I ask it in your name. Amen.